Hi, this is Betsy Gardner, Senior Editor at the Harvard Kennedy School and producer of the Data Smart City Pod. Since we started this podcast, we've had great support from our listeners. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode, please find us under the new Data Smart City Pod channel wherever you listen. Make sure to subscribe so you get each episode. And thanks for listening. Uh, welcome back. This is Stephen Goldsmith, Professor of Urban Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Another one of our podcasts, this one on an enormously important subject as how we should think about fines, penalties, and rethinking revenue in America's cities. Uh, we have with us a distinguished, really distinguished and interesting group of participants. Brian Glenn, the CEO of Service. J.B. DeBay, the Professor of Marketing at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and Shane Cavanaugh, the Senior Manager of Research at GFOA, a really great group of individuals and a really important subject. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being with us. Let me start by helping frame the issue. So we work with a large number of city officials, and they all talk about equity, but they think about equity in different ways. You know, I was a district attorney before I was a mayor and observed the number of individuals who kind of lost their jobs through brief days in the local jail, right? Because they couldn't earn enough money to pay X and eventually they couldn't keep up their car, they lost their car, they lost their job, whatever. So there's been a fair amount of research on license suspensions and the like and the effect on people's opportunities in life. So let's just start with how should we think differently about taxes fees and fines. In your great paper on rethinking revenue, you specify the differences. So talk to us a little bit. Do the definitions make a difference? Do the the goals of fines, fees, penalties, and taxes make a difference? How How should our audience think about that? Well, thanks, Stephen, for that question. I think there's a couple ways to think about this is, first of all, as you mentioned, there's taxes, there's fines, and there's fees, but we can break that down even further, right, into imposed fees versus user fees, right? So an imposed fee might be an example of a court fee, right, where it's a non-voluntary service that person comes into contact with government and then is asked to pay a fee to cover that non-voluntary service. But then there's your user fees, which be something like, say, going to the building department or getting a permit or pulling a business license, where it's a voluntary service that you're getting from the local government. And the kind of, I think, rethinking each of these areas has to be done in the context of that specific revenue and what it's trying to achieve. So just for example, in our topic here today, fines are meant to act as a disincentive for a particular behavior, right? So that's going to be very different than, say, a fee where it's essentially recovering a cost for a service that people value. So looking at the purpose, understanding the purpose is going to be the first step towards thinking about the right way to price that service. Then I kind of think at least your second question, which is about equity and in the Rethinking Revenue Project, we are um, thinking about fairness as an important criteria for rethinking revenue. And fairness can be broken down into an equity concept, which is essentially ability to pay, but also that something that goes along with that is a proportionality concept, which is essentially saying that people are asked by society to pay their fair share of taxes to support their local government. So how do we balance those two things in a revenue structure? And I think is very exciting about segmented pricing is it really threads the needle between these two conceptions of fairness. Why did you pick the phrase segmented pricing? It makes sense to me. It's not a term of art in the average city. 
So where did that word come from and what do you mean you can know by that word? I'm Brian, and I'm the CEO of Service. So segmented pricing, I think, is something that we landed on through conversations we were having with advocacy groups as, lo- as well as some local municipalities. What I've learned is governments are very skillful at saying no, and they don't know how to get to yes very easily. And so through working with the folks at the Center for Municipal Finance at the Harris School of Public Policy, uh, as well as just talking through Shane and some other folks at GFOA, we've learned how not to scare finance officers by saying certain buzzwords, right? And so we've talked about fairness briefly, but I suspect if you were to put us all in a, in a room and each one of us were asked to define fairness, we would all come out with different definitions. And so uh, segmented pricing was our way of boiling down instead of saying targeted pricing, because targeted is a scary word for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. especially when you talk about algorithmic bias, that from the criminal justice system has already been, you know, snuffed out as a culprit among, you know, inequity. And so, you know, we've tried to put this as palatable as possible for folks so that they can say, all right, segments, I can see that we have different segments within our population. And even within low income, there are different segments. So a person with three kids who's living at the poverty line is totally different than someone who may have uh, living in a, in a homeless halfway house or, or something of that nature. All these folks are different. That's sort of how I thought about it. But as JP could probably attest to, segmented pricing at large is a, is a much bigger topic, and he can explain that. So. so JP, I have a question for you. Several centuries ago, when I was mayor of Indianapolis, I was concerned that our golf courses were underpriced. And my home was picketed by senior golfers as part of the process. So we agreed that they could play golf at their current price, even though everyone else paid more. But they could only play on Wednesday and Thursday afternoons with that price. They'd have to pay a premium otherwise. So is that segmented pricing? Did I get that right or is that wrong? And does that story have any relevance to what you guys are talking about? That is, that is segmented pricing, but what makes the topic of segmented pricing a little complicated is that there's more than one way to segment a market. So the sort of the, the first way we normally think of segmentation, it's usually the one that irks the most uh, re, you know, adverse responses with concerns of fairness is when you literally charge different people different prices for exactly the same consumption experience. So for example, if you go to the movies and you're under 12, you get a child's discount. If you're a senior citizen over 65, you get a senior's discount and everyone in between pays the full rack rate, right? It's the same seat to the same showing of the same movie. So that's the usual way we think of segmentation. It's actually also one of the more uncommon ways to segment. The more common way to segment a market is what you just described is we actually don't tell people what they're going to pay. What we do instead is we give them a, a choice, right? We create what firms would call a product line. So like good, better, best. So imagine in the golf world, we're gonna create two versions of the golf product. There's golf at peak hours when the weather's perfect and the day is convenient and it's the most desirable to play. And then there's golf at the off hours when it's not as pleasant, not as convenient to play. And we'll charge high price for peak hours and we'll charge low price for low hours, but it's totally up to the buyer which one they wanna buy. If you want a discount, come after hours. If you wanna come during the prime time of the day, then you have to pay full price. And we see this used in cars, we see this used in services. So they're both forms of segmentation. There's just different degrees of how we segment the market. I've been troubled recently, not recently, for a while, 
about underpricing parking, right? I know we, we have some aversion to cars generally, but it feels like if we have one price for parking, then folks who have more money are almost, I mean, you could think about that almost as if we're subsidizing them because we're underpricing the cost of consumption of the curb. So let's apply segmented pricing to the parking world. What would that look like? If I may, what I think is this is a great opportunity for cities to take a real look at how revenue flows in from particular streams. And when you mentioned parking, parking is a great example of something that everybody does. And since everybody does it, you have to realize that it's going to impact people in different ways. Well, segmented pricing essentially, in our minds, in a perfect world, would insulate the lower income folks while allowing the city to continue its regular business practices with those folks who can pay more. And though this is a, a deeper policy discussion, those municipalities could actually increase the static price of what everybody else pays in the general population while still insulating those lower income folks so that they wouldn't be hurt. So we like to think of it in terms of discount buckets or reductions. So a lot of cities you know, have amnesty plans and they're very familiar with that concept. But let's have an amnesty plan with variable rates, so to speak. So a 50% off, a 70% off, and maybe a deep 80 or 85% reduction for folks who are truly impoverished. And that's the way I kind of like to think about segmented pricing in terms of parking tickets. You know? Well, I think that one of the challenges we have right now in society, with the exception of taxation, where we've already accepted that people pay differential amounts in taxation. We have personalized taxes right now. We call it progressive taxation. But when we go to other aspects of the economy, whether it's goods and services, or in this case, fines or municipal fees, there's a very muddled and vague notion of what's fair. For most people, what's considered fair is that everyone gets confronted with the same offer. So for example, if I'm shopping for a car, everyone gets charged the same price for a car. If I'm confronted with a parking parking space, everyone gets charged the same price. But it's a weird way to think of fairness because what we really want to be thinking about is the fairness of the allocation. Ultimately, we shouldn't care what the offer is. What we ultimately care about is how we allocate parking. And if we think about a fair allocation of parking, well, then, of course, if we charge everyone the same price for a parking spot, people with more income are going to have an unfair advantage in getting that. And so it becomes a really strange question when you listen to public, especially civic leaders, arguing that a uniform rate for a fine or a fee is more fair because they're defining fairness as the offer, even though there might be a very unfair allocation of the benefit. So like only a, only a small number of people get access to parking in a world where parking is very expensive. And in a world where we charge differentially for people based on means or socioeconomic status, we have a more equitable allocation of the parking benefit itself. So I think that's our answer is why would we consider segmented pricing of parking? It's to make sure we have an equitable allocation of the access to parking benefits and services as opposed to an equitable or fair distribution of the offer itself. Yes, I thought one of the lines in the paper particularly appealed to me is the line that the ethics of public service commits public officials to treat people fairly and produce good results for the community. And I think introducing the concept of public service ethics into the conversation is very appropriate and powerful. Shane? 
Yeah. So the GFOA code of ethics, I think is unique amongst professional associations that are code of ethics is basically centered around increasing your reputation for trustworthiness and fairness is super important to being trusted. Right. And so the, I think attraction to segmented pricing is that it, to JP's point, it brings in a more nuanced perspective to fairness and helps uh, local officials start to think about how they can connect their public service pricing strategies to the ethics of fairness. And we don't have too much longer, but I have a number of questions. But before I ask the questions, let me just, so one line in the paper I disagreed with. So I, I know there's multiple of you and only one of me. So this is really dangerous to suggest I don't agree. But but you, you say the goal is not to charge anyone a higher price. Let's just stay with parking because it's easy to understand. In order to hit the right point, right, we have to charge some people a higher point, right? Or it's not a fair system. Some people we want, want to charge lower to, but the, doesn't the conversation also include raising the price to individuals to kind of fit the right price point? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. So the, the point we are making in the paper is that it's true that you could apply segmented pricing to people at the higher end of the income scale. And in fact, that's happening in places in Western Europe. The point we're making in the paper is we believe the most potential for this is at the lower end of the income scale. So we are simply focusing our analysis on the lower end of the income scale because we feel that's where the most good will happen. So I think I've had conversations with cities generally on the subject, maybe not presented as sophisticated as the paper does, where you get a little pushback with, which is we do now have the capability to design a system, pay by app or otherwise, where individuals with certain demographics could have special rates. It's, it's technologically possible. The cities then push back with, well, we get a lot of parking revenue and we couldn't afford to kind of discount our rates. Talk to us about actually how that's misguided in the sense that better calibrated pricing will actually produce more revenues. I thought that was a very appealing narrative in the paper. Sure, and I'll take a quick stab at it. So this is essentially why I asked JP to come along is because without actually analyzing the rates and figuring out what can people actually afford to pay, you don't know how close to optimal pricing an actual city's fine or fee may be. Let's continue down the road of a parking or parking ticket. If a city is using a $50 nominal static $50 fee or fine for parking in the wrong place, you don't know how many people can actually afford to pay that $50 unless you take a deeper dive into what's the attrition rate, how many folks actually pay within the first 30 days. There's just a bunch of data that I think hints at and actually gives a, a better clue as to where we should be looking to how to address this problem. And so, you know, this may not perfectly answer your question, but in terms of uh, segmented pricing, particularly when you're thinking about folks who are being charged different rates, when you are able to do that, you're able to actually hit the demand curve in a way where, especially in the economy, well, let's just say demand shifts. So right now we have the economy going in all sorts of ways where we have inflation coming. Well, we don't know what the, the interest rates are going to do to some of these things. And so you just don't know how folks are being affected. And I think an individualized approach really allows cities a lot of levity to be able to do the things and accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. JP, why don't you jump in here and then Shane, and as you both respond to my questions, help provide examples other than parking that you think are the, the ripest areas for attention, please. 
Yeah, the the analogy that makes sense for the for fines and fees is demand. Uh, Brian used the word demand. It's a word that irks public officials because they don't think of fines and fees as products or services that are sold. But the reason demand, the idea of consumer demand makes sense as an analogy is that the individual has some discretion over whether or not they pay. And it, whether it's because I can't afford or I'm, I'm not interested or I'm not, I'm not scared by the fee, the bottom line is we've observed that as prices for fines and fees go up, fewer people pay and we see delinquency rates go up, which tells me as an economist, there's something similar to a demand curve, call it a propensity to pay. And we see that in all sorts of markets. I've studied consumer goods markets, business to business markets, and we see the law of demand there too. As you raise the price, fewer people buy and pay. Similar to as I raise the fine, we're going to see more delinquencies. And the way public finances worked in a lot of cities in recent years, as we've seen budget shortfalls compensated by increased fines, is an assumption that consumers are going to pay regardless. In the world of economics, we'd say there's this, this uh, inelasticity in demand, that people aren't very sensitive to the prices. The demand will be the same if the price is very high or very low, and it's simply not true. So what Brian brought me on board for this to apply the same kind of empirical tools and conceptual thinking that we would apply to a standard consumer goods market to try and think about the optimization of a municipal a price of a finer fee. And this optimization is about balancing how much money do we get from each paying customer and how many paying customers do we get? And that's the part that gets ignored. I might have fewer paying customers at a higher price, paradoxically to a civic leader, we might actually collect more revenues at a lower price. One of the most powerful arguments, and if you were in front of a group of 50 city officials, where and how would you tell them to start? So I, I really think that as city officials, you need to acknowledge that you're providing a public benefit to folks. You have very few levers to pull for revenue. And even with that being said, the, the money that you have coming in is generally mostly spent up. And so whatever discretionary budget you have for your programs that you really want to do, your mayors or your uh, city councils, those sorts of things, you're going to need revenue for that. And I think that too many finance departments are stretched and will try to take on a version of this or an amnesty plan on their own. And when you talk about pricing, because that's what this is, it's a very complex issue and you need folks who understand the economy and understand pricing and understand how uh, and what motivates people to pay. And so for, for me, it's very, it's very easy. We're looking at this not only at a, on a smaller level, but even at a macro level with the cities that we'd love to bring on board that we think that there's a lot of additional value that can be added by studying all of these in tandem with each other as opposed to just looking at one city. So I think that, that that's a huge, huge benefit to a city that we might be able to add through segmented pricing. Good, thank you very much. Shane. Sure, yeah, well, I think we're at a very, we'll call it unique historical juncture, right? Where there is a, I say, unprecedented focus on fairness in public finance. But at the same time, cities have a very unique opportunity with ARPA funding, right? Where there's breathing room, but this is not gonna last forever. And we will probably soon enough be back to the point where cities are thinking about where are we gonna get our revenue from? And segmented pricing is a really unique opportunity to do both, right? We're going to increase the fairness of our revenues, but at the same time, we're also going to strengthen our revenue system by developing a pricing structure that charges the people the price they can afford and no more 
and no less, right? So those two things together are how you get to this concept of maximizing or optimizing revenue, but also having a revenue system that optimizes fairness at the same time. Excellent, thank you. JP, please close this up. Sure, absolutely. I mean, our discussion is largely about the upside to municipalities of trying to apply economic tools on a more regular basis when they're designing their, their policies for fines and fees. I've been teaching and practicing pricing now for 22 years. And in my experiences with companies, sometimes big established companies um, who feel that they've already understood everything there is to know about pricing, we've run field experiments and found optimization can improve their profits, sometimes by as much as 60 to 70%. And in a, one recent study where we implemented a personalization scheme, which was built with AI and machine learning, we had more than 80% improvement in profits. And at the same time, an increase in the size of the customer base being served. So this is exactly what the municipality should want to see, more revenues, but at the same time, more compliance uh, with, the, with the payment system. So it seems like a win-win, no delinquencies and people being chased by collectors, and at the same time, municipal finance improves. So thank you very much. This is Steve Goldsmith with another podcast. I want to thank Brian Glenn, CEO of Service, Jean-Pierre Dubay, the professor of marketing at the University of Chicago Blue School, Shane Kavanaugh, uh, senior manager of research at GFOA, a terrific paper that everyone should read on rethinking revenue. Even more important than reading the paper is rethinking revenue, coming up with more equitable and fair ways to impose fines and fees in a way that will improve behaviors. I think actually make the fiscal situation better and make quality of life improve as well. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us for this important conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please visit us at datasmartcities.org or follow us at datasmartcities on Twitter. And remember to subscribe at the new Data Smart City Pod channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Betsy Gardner, and hosted by Professor Steve Goldsmith. We're proud to be the central resource for cities interested in the intersection of government, data, and innovation. Thanks for listening.